Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 50 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Home Record Disease, an interview with Michaela Vatcher. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Michaela Vatcher. Michaela Vatcher is from North Situate, Rhode Island. After a vaccination at the age of 12, she started to have migraines, anxiety, and a feeling of overall doom. Although her symptoms persisted and progressed, her dad always told her that she wasn't really sick or that she wanted attention. But her mom continued to take her to doctors to try to find an answer for Michaela's illness. By her junior year of high school, she had to give up playing competitive ice hockey and her social life was suffering because she wasn't well enough to see friends. Shortly after Michaela left for college, she had to return home because she was having seizures and passing out. Michaela's dad still wouldn't acknowledge her illness and he and her mom separated and eventually divorced. Despite the divorce, Michaela's mother stayed on mission to help her daughter heal. Michaela was eventually diagnosed with Lyme disease and has received various treatments since her diagnosis, including a PICC line inserted into her chest since 2014. Hey, Michaela, and welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're blessed to have you, Michaela. Uh, We'd like you to talk to us about your background so that the folks who are going to be listening to this podcast are going to get to know you a little bit. So, Michaela, where do you live? So, I'm... Still in Rhode Island where I grew up. I just moved towns, but I grew up in Cumberland, Rhode Island, and now I'm in North Situate, still super woodsy type of area. And uh, where did you go to school? I went to a private Catholic school, Mount St. Charles. And what kinds of things did you do when you were going to school at Mount St. Charles? I had initially gone there specifically to play hockey because I grew up playing, so I was super athletic. I was playing competitive division one ice hockey. I was doing cross country and track, super extrovert, outgoing. I was not to toot my own horn, but I guess I was pretty good in school as well. I had great grades and everything, but I was just super fortunate to go to a school like that. And did you go off to college after you graduated from high school? Yes, I did. I went school up in New Hampshire at Colby Sawyer College for nursing and I got into the nursing program. I had about I think three semesters left of clinical but I had a pick line put in and they thought I was a liability so I actually had to take a leave. So Michaela do you live alone or do you live uh, still live with your parents? I live with my mom and my grandmother. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with your mom and your grandmother and and how they're dealing with the challenges that you're facing with your tick disease? So I am so beyond blessed to have my mom and grandmother there. Honestly, like my absolute best friends, they're kind of more like sisters to me, honestly. They are my rocks and honestly what keeps me going on my worst days. They know what I need and when I need it and things like that. There has been a lot of divide in my family. So although I wish that I obviously had more support, I am so beyond thankful for my mom and my grandmother and they're more than enough for me for sure. Can you share with us a little bit about the divide in your family and how your tick disease has either caused that divide or impacted that divide? Yeah. So Growing up, there was always kind of like a divide with my parents. My father and I didn't always get along so great. We had a kind of back and forth relationship. But then as I 
got sick and was trying to figure out what was wrong with me, he was very much, it's all in your head, suck it up, you're fine, you're just stressing out type person. And when I got the diagnosis of Lyme, he was still just super hesitant about that. But I had the positive results just through a typical blood work place, which is so bizarre. And I started treatment. And then they, my father and his side of the family did not believe that it was Lyme. So I had stopped treatment for three months just to kind of like clear out my system and get retested. And looking back, I regret that so much. And it's kind of made me who I am today. And I really wish that I would just have continued to believe in myself and not let important people in my life kind of decide where I was going with treatment and things like that. But so they just kind of chose not to believe that I was sick and because I look so fine on the outside and I'm so great at faking being healthy the divide just kind of happened and we just knew that it was better for my health to just kind of split ways and agree to disagree really. So Michaela can you walk back with us when you began to show the symptoms of your tick disease how did it first present? So it was around like age 12 or 13. I honestly grew up like totally fine and healthy besides just having like my tonsils removed from strep throat. I was relatively healthy, but then around age 12 or 13, right when I was getting the HPV shots, actually, I started getting super bad migraines, which then turned into severe anxiety and panic attacks, which were so not like me. I was a super extrovert, outgoing person. Nothing ever fazed me, bothered me, but just like the migraines and the anxiety just started taking over. So I started to see different neurologists and get put on so many different medications that did nothing for me. Yeah, it really just started out as migraines and anxiety. Do you believe that the vaccination that you had received had an impact on your immune system's capacity to manage the tick disease that you were harboring? I definitely do think so, looking back at it. I've never honestly done too much research on it all, and I don't really like get into that whole political debate or whatever about it, but looking back, it's clearly obvious that that had such a huge effect on my overall immune system and being able to, I guess, fight the Lyme disease. It was almost like it just kind of started it all up for me. Now, Michaela, during the course of your childhood, were ticks and tick awareness a part of anything you talk about with your parents or with your teachers or anyone else in your community? Not at all. I did not even know that that was a thing, honestly. I grew up like relatively healthy, but I also grew up camping. So you would think that that would have been something, but no, we we had no knowledge about it. Do you recall ever having been bitten by a tick? No. And actually funny, I had always, once like ticks started to like become a thing and more people were talking about it, I always was like, oh, I've never been bit by a tick. I've never seen one, but the joke was totally on me. 
So Michaela, I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about how your parents reacted differently to the onset of your symptoms. You indicated that you began to show you symptomology. And before that, you shared with us that there was a split in your family about how you were treated. Yeah. So I always remember my mom always bringing me to the appointments for different doctors and wanting me to get help and be treated. She is a special needs teacher, so she was kind of very familiar with a lot of the different medications I was being put on because some of them were like seizure medications and behavioral medications and things like that. So she was definitely more concerned as to the side effects about it all, and she knew that it really was not a problem for me, like a behavioral thing or depression, anxiety type thing. So she was hesitant about it, but she was always, something's going on here. We need to do something and supportive. But then my father didn't really have a role in any of it. I don't want to say that he didn't care, but from my perspective, that is how it was. Never like, how are you feeling or anything like that? It was always just suck it up, stop being a baby just extremely high expectations, which then led me to just kind of pushing a lot of these problems like to like the back of my mind and just trying to forget about it all, which looking back, it definitely made me much worse and kind of made that whole anxiety and depression an actual real thing for me. I was actually told by someone on his side of the family that me being diagnosed with Lyme disease and being sick led to their divorce. And it was my fault. And it was my responsibility to get them back together. And this was being told to me at the age of like 15, 16 years old. In the back of my mind, I know it's not necessarily my fault. Of course, I always hold that guilt just because I was told it was my fault. And of course, I know that it had an impact. And it was really what led them to being split. They divorced just after I had to come home from college because I had passed out and had seizure-like activity. And he just kind of refused to acknowledge it. And so my mom stood up and it was just so brave of her. And she was like, that's it. We have to just separate because I need my daughter to get better. Michaela, you started getting sick at an early age of around 12 or 13, and you mentioned that your symptoms started with migraines and led to anxiety and severe panic attacks. Can you talk about the other symptoms you experienced from that point? Yeah, so from the migraines and anxiety and everything like that, just like what was going on with my parents kind of led to depression and guilt and things like that, but then I started just feeling sick all the time. I loved school. I had a great group of friends, but every single day before school, I was just so, so sick, either dry heaving or actually throwing up. My joints started to bother me. And I just like, it was just like this overall doom feeling like I could not picture my life going on almost. While you were going to these doctors with your mother from the time you were 12, I guess throughout your entire childhood, what were some of the things that you were misdiagnosed with? For a great deal of the time, it was mostly they thought I had like a brain tumor or something like that going on. Um, they did find a pineal cyst, but 
never really like went about exploring that anymore. But besides that, they were just kind of like oh, chronic fatigue syndrome, Epstein-Barr, which I do have Epstein-Barr, but it was never, they never honestly chose to put a label on it or anything. They just kind of continuously dismissed it. What impact did this have on your childhood? You mentioned that you were an extrovert. You were very social. You were heavily into sports. Once you started getting sick, how did this change your childhood? So come my junior year of high school, it was really like high school where everything started to really go downhill. And I actually started to like advocate for myself and realize that something was actually wrong. But I had to stop playing sports, which was huge because I specifically went to that school to play competitive ice hockey. So as soon as like that stopped, friendship started kind of separating some and I just completely turned inwards. And because I didn't understand fully what was going on with me, and I was just having so many people, families, doctors, friends going against me and telling me that I was fine, I definitely just kind of started to give up on everything and just didn't care. Michaela, I know you weren't diagnosed until you were 19 and out of high school. How did this affect your relationship with your teachers? Did your teachers believe that you were really sick and have compassion or were they hard on you as well? So there was one specific teacher, we called him Doc, and I still am in contact with him today, but I truly believe and know that he is the one that saved my life. He was my English teacher all throughout high school. And he was the one person who always, always, always believed in me and always knew that something was wrong. He honestly kind of knew me better than I even knew myself. And as I was giving up, he was like, I know something's wrong with you. He knew about my family problems and everything like that. And he had even offered to take me to doctor appointments and stuff. He had done his own research and was just really helping and guiding me and just kind of holding my hand through it all. So I totally owe my life to him. He was just amazing. Michaela, did any of your doctors prior to the time you were 19 think your symptoms could be related to a tick disease? No, not at all. That never came up. Although you were so sick, you still graduated high school and you went on to college, as you noted earlier. How did that feel? That must have been a real struggle for you, despite all of your symptoms, to continue on and go to nursing school. It was. Because of, it definitely became a a mental and emotional thing for me. I knew that I just had to keep going. And with wanting to be a nurse and everything, I knew that I had to advocate for myself and kind of figure out what was going on. But I've never been a quitter. So I just knew that I had to continue on. And even when I got the diagnosis, I remember I was sitting outside the house where I live now. And my doctor called and was like, you have Lyme disease. And I remember just being so excited, telling my college friends and everything like that. And I was like, great, I'm going to take medicine and I'm going to go back to school, continue nursing school. Like, there was never, ever any thought in my mind that I wouldn't finish school. On the note of your friends, I have to think that 
while you were in high school and you were getting worse and worse and feeling sick, children can be very cruel. How did this impact your relationship with your peers while you were in high school and, and struggling with this illness? It was just really difficult because no one understood or even, like, I don't want to discredit them because obviously sickness or your friends being sick is nothing that ever crosses your mind growing up unless you personally are affected by it. So there just isn't any awareness out there, not even just about Lyme disease, but any type of illness. So there definitely was a divide because I was always so tired or in pain and I just couldn't keep up with them. And they just were like, oh, okay, whatever. We're going to go out anyways. Like there wasn't any are you okay? What's going on? Nothing like that. Michaela, we know that anxiety and panic attacks and even depression are real symptoms of Lyme disease. Do you think because those are some of your earlier symptoms that delayed your actual diagnosis of Lyme disease and people dismissed you as just having mental health issues? Absolutely, 100%. And like, it's just so bad because those are such prominent symptoms of Lyme disease and out of pretty much everyone that I know with Lyme disease that is an issue so it's just it's bizarre that doctors can just throw that aside and I just can't imagine how many people are out there struggling with those problems and just being dismissed when they have a real huge chance of having Lyme disease. And so much so that in your pre-interview questionnaire, you noted that you actually went to see a CDC doctor before you got diagnosed with Lyme disease. And he had told your mother that your daughter needs a psychiatric evaluation. She's doing all of this to herself. Yes. So I had actually been diagnosed at that point, but I had gone to see this top CDC doctor because of my family denying this. So I had just felt so strongly in me that I had to prove them wrong which is such a wrong thing to do. And I never tell anybody to feel that way. So I went and seen this doctor and I had the co-infection Bartonella. So I had those scratch marks all over my body that literally looked like I had just gotten attacked by some crazy animal. So we went in and we saw this doctor. He's looking me up and down, asking me about my symptoms. And he's just saying, you don't have Lyme disease. This is just all in your head, blah, blah, blah. So I got super upset. It was just my mom and I in this room. And I took off my shirt and I was like, do you not see this all over my body? And like these scratch marks are in places where I can't even reach myself. And he then looks at my mom right in front of me and said, I need a psychiatric evaluation. And it's just so sickening to me, especially that I was starting to be in the medical field, that a doctor would say such a thing in front of a young patient, because I know that if I was not mentally and emotionally strong, I know that I would have like done something to actually harm myself being told that at such a young age. And I can't imagine how many people as a result of a doctor treating them so poorly like that do something to harm themselves. And what's even more difficult to comprehend on our end is this was after a positive Lyme disease test. Exactly. Yes. But he did not want to credit the just normal lab that I had gone through. He wanted me to have the, the whole official 
CDC every strand positive type thing. But I had even tested positive for multiple co-infections. And I'm just like, it's just so mind blowing to me, honestly, still to this day. Michaela, I'm going to back up just a, a little bit to the point of when you were diagnosed. What doctor diagnosed you and what led to that diagnosis? So it was actually a neurologist. My primary care from when I was very young referred me to a neurologist that he used. And this guy was horrible, just wanted to put me on every drug in the book. And my mom was like, absolutely not. We're not doing that. And that neurologist had actually gone on vacation. So he referred me to another neurologist, which then I just continued to see forever and still to this day even have a great relationship with. But so she was the one doctor, this neurologist that fully believed in me and knew that something was wrong and she did not want me to feel dismissed or disregarded. So we just kind of did a whole clean slate. We did a bunch of new tests and everything like that. She even had sent me to therapy, which I think is a great thing, but we knew wasn't really a problem for me. But so I had come into her office and I was like, my elbow is so swollen and it's just bothering me so much. And I was obviously playing competitive hockey at that point. So my family and everyone else was like, you're just, it's a physical, very physical sport. Like you're just being aggressive in the game. That's fine. You're fine. But I was like, no, like this is not a normal pain. I have a super high tolerance of pain, but then I came into the office and it had been like three or so weeks of my elbow being crazy swollen and in that pain. And then she finally was like, I'm just going to test you for Lyme disease because I don't know what else to do. And that's when it came back positive in May, 2013. And that was when you were 19 years old, I believe. And that was just a blood test at your local lab, like a Quest or a LabCorp, right? Yes, exactly. So despite many, many horrible things that you had to go through growing up, I think one positive factor is that you actually had a positive result from that test, knowing how inaccurate these tests can be. Exactly, which was so insane, yet everybody still wanted to discredit it. So there was a little bit of, of belief after this positive Lyme test from your neurologist, but then when your primary care physician ran the test again and did the full, the full spectrum, it wasn't positive enough for your primary care physician. And when your family got wind of that, they then felt that it was not actually Lyme disease again at that point. Yes, exactly. You were on doxycycline by your neurologist and then followed up with your primary care physician. Did you stop taking the doxycycline once your primary care physician felt it was not Lyme disease based on that second follow-up test? Yes, I did. And I did not want to, but just getting so much hate, I just like couldn't take it anymore. So I stopped treatment for three months just to kind of like completely clean out my system and everything and get retested. And during that time, my health significantly declined. While your health was declining, were you seeing your primary care physician? And if so, what was she saying about your decline in health? She said that it was just Epstein-Barr and I just needed to rest and stop stressing out about things. And the funny thing is, is I was never somebody that was a stressed person, even still to this day. 
any type of like bad blood work or anything like that. It honestly doesn't phase me, but she just attributed everything to stress and Epstein-Barr. So it sounds like your neurologist and your primary care physician had conflicting views about what was causing your, your symptoms. So while you were going through this experience with your new primary care physician, what was your neurologist saying? She was still extremely supportive, which I'm so thankful for. I have a special needs foster sister, so she actually saw the same neurologist. So I was able to keep in contact with her just from going with my sister to her appointment. And she would always be there encouraging me and telling me to hold on and that only I knew my body and anybody else out there that had an opinion just to screw them because it's not their body. They don't understand what I'm feeling. Did you stop seeing your neurologist for you once you started care with your primary care physician? Yes, I did. What events occurred for you to eventually realize that everybody was wrong and then eventually continue the proper treatment again for Lyme disease? It was honestly, I think, when the scratch marks from the Bartonella started coming up and I was just really neurologically declining. So I had decided to switch primary care doctors and this new primary care doctor that I was now seeing believed that I had Lyme because she had done more testing again and my Lyme came back positive which she acknowledged and believed in me so I started doxycycline again I did that I think about four different times and then she ended up referring me to a a Lyme specialist who I'm still with to this day and that is when we did obviously the further testing and showed that I have had Lyme disease for years, multiple co-infections. And we did obviously different brain scans, which showed how the Lyme was affecting me. This additional testing through your Lyme litter doctor that you eventually ended up with, was this through Igenix? Yes, one of them was, yes. And how long were you on the doxycycline for initially by your neurologist before you stopped treatment with your primary care physician? I think it was probably about a month and a half, almost. Like I have, I had done the original, I think it was like 14 to 21 days and that hadn't done anything for me. So we tried to continue another round of Doxy, but then I had seen the primary care. She stopped the medication and I was just so naive and didn't know about Lyme disease fully at that point. So I was just kind of listening to whoever. And I think maybe part of the problem is that when you have neurological Lyme disease, there's a lot of, a lot of information out there saying that the oral antibiotics are not as effective as IV antibiotics to break that blood-brain barrier. So even if you were on that doxycycline for quite a while, it may not have been effective at treating your neurological symptoms. Exactly, yes. Once you finally found this new primary care physician who tested you again, you had a positive Lyme test, she started treating you, and then referred you to this new Lyme literate medical doctor, did your family finally believe that you had Lyme disease based on these two new doctors? Nope. They still thought I was wasting my time. I had a brain spec scan done, which showed significant effects of the Lyme disease in my brain. I had gone to an, a special eye doctor, and he even saw how the Lyme disease was affecting my eyes. I had gone to a cardiologist in Boston that was 
well known and she saw how the Lyme disease was affecting my heart and I had so much concrete evidence from multiple different doctors and specialists that were all well known yet they all still chose not to believe that it was Lyme disease. When you're not feeling well and you're, and you're symptomatic, when you have stress, it only makes you feel that much worse. So I have to imagine that all of this conflict within your family was causing stress for you and probably making you sicker, right? Oh, 100%. And I think that with my mom kind of always being there for me at appointments and she was obviously starting to learn this, I think was when it triggered her to be like, we need to step away from this toxic life and give you a chance at life of actually healing. And I want to connect this back to your, your education. So when you saw this second primary care physician who then eventually referred you to your, your current Lyme literate doctor, that was after you returned home from college, correct? Yes. Yep. Now that you're with your new Lyme literate doctor, you know, when you first were referred to, to that doctor, what was your revised treatment plan to help you get better? So we had done a mix of oral antibiotics at first. Um, this was like way back at the beginning, like the minocycline, nystatin, diclopan, just all different types of medications. And then with the brain scans, the PIC line came. So I, I have been on so many different IV antibiotics, which of course has different mixed reviews as well, but it's, it's just what works for me. I've been on Rocephin, Flagyl, Zithromax, Quindamycin, Rifampin through the IV, which was super difficult. But it's, it's honestly been such a mystery because I've been being treated for so long and people are like, well, why aren't you getting better? And I honestly don't know because I'm trying everything. It's just I've had Lyme for so long and all of these co-infections are just really affecting me. And I think that, you know, the longer you have this, this bacteria, the Lyme bacteria, all of the other tick diseases that, that you have, they damage your body as well. In addition to having these bacteria throughout your body, you have to recover from, from that. And there's some damage that is done. So it's really twofold. It's, it's killing the bacteria and then dealing with the damage that was done from living with this bacteria for so long. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you get your pick line put in? I believe you still have it in today. So how long have you had it with you, the pick line? So I officially got a pick line put in in the beginning of 2014. I've had eight pick lines since then, just like having to switch it up because it's been so long, but it's pretty much been continuous. I tried a few different times to come off the IV antibiotics through the pick line and I quickly go downhill. Just about, it was last month actually, we tried taking a break and just detoxing from the mold and being off the IV antibiotics just for a week's time, I was significantly declining very fast and honestly just becoming scared. How do you know that you have a mold issue? I, from what I understand, that's not a test that is done via blood work and covered through insurance. So is that through a third party that you, you use to get this mold test done for you? Yes. Um, I forget the name of it, but it's like one of the, I guess, like predominant companies, um, but it was a urine test. And I honestly always kind of knew in my gut that I had mold issues, but I just never had focused on it or was bothered to 
just get tested for it because I just had so much going on. But now I'm learning how significant of an effect it can have on somebody who has Lyme and such a suppressed immune system. And I know you tried a lot of other things to help with your symptoms along your journey. Uh, one of them was essential oils. Can you talk to us about how you use essential oils and if they helped you? Yes. Honestly, I always thought that they were such a hoax. But when you get to that point of being so sick, you will literally do anything for your health. So my really good friend, Lindsay, um, who I'm just so beyond grateful for, she had sent me some oils to try for restless legs, which were such a huge symptom of mine. And it took them away, the restless legs away. And it was just so bizarre. So then I started using it for things like nausea and digestion and migraines and just kind of overall immunity because my white blood cells were always so low. So it's just, I'm still learning about it. And it just amazes me how powerful they truly are. In the company that I use, they have supplements that are infused with their essential oils, which actually help your body to absorb them better than just your typical over-the-counter supplements that you would take. So it's, it's just been super interesting to just continuously learn about essential oils and what an impact they can have on your symptoms, but then really deeply healing you and your immune system. From what we understand, essential oils can be applied, I think, really three main ways. Topically, which is really rubbing it onto your skin. You can inhale the essential oils or you can ingest them by the, diluting them in something called the carrier oil. Is that accurate? Yes, correct. The company I use, they have their own vitality line is what they call them. So I will put them under my tongue directly because they're totally safe or I will add them to my different like smoothies and stuff like that because they have such great antifungal and antivirus properties. And some of the other things that you tried, I mean, most of our guests have tried the infrared sauna. Was that effective for you? Do you believe in detoxing? Oh my gosh, yes. I cannot recommend that enough. And so many people are like, oh, it's so expensive though, or I can't leave the house and go get a new one. But you don't need that huge, fancy setup. Right on Amazon, I have it linked on my Instagram page, actually, but on Amazon, they have a portable sauna that's under $200, and you can literally fold it up and put it under your bed, um, but it heats up to 150 degrees, and holy moly, do I sweat with that, but I have found it to be extremely beneficial for myself. Do you feel instant relief from your symptoms after you do the infrared sauna? I definitely feel cleaner, which is kind of weird, but it definitely helps with pain. It helps with kind of calming me down, calming down like my whole mental and emotional state and everything. It helps me sleep. Just super important to know that once you get out of the sauna, you want to quickly get in the shower to wash all those toxins off so it doesn't soak back into you. I mean, there's so many different things, and of course, everybody is so different, but I've heard of using the bentonite clay, which I've started using, um, just putting it on my skin, letting it dry, that helps pull out the toxins, and then I also learned that doing the coconut oil pulling really helps also with the toxins, so usually like the last 10 minutes that I'm in the sauna, I will grab a spoonful of coconut oil, and I actually add a few drops of 
orange essential oil to it and do that oil pulling just to kind of help also pull out some more toxins. The oil will actually pull out the toxins and you apply it topically to your skin to extract the toxins. No, oil pulling, swishing the coconut oil in your mouth. It's so weird, but it, it works. It's supposed to help with like candida and everything like that. So on the topic of coconut oil, have you tried CBD oil? Yes, I have. Another thing that I had tried for so many years and I just could not find a brand that I felt effects with. So again, the company that I used for the essential oils, they just released an entire line of CBD, both an oral tincture and then also a muscle rub. But their CBD is infused with essential oils and the, the terpenes, when your CBD is broken down into an isolate, which is the safest way to ingest, it loses those terpenes that kind of like enhance the effects of it on your body and everything. So essential oils actually have those same terpenes in them. So they combine the CBD and essential oils to help your body naturally work as it's supposed to for things like sleep and pain and blood pressure and all that different type of stuff. And aside from using, using those therapies we just discussed, you've tried some other things like coffee enemas. Can you describe what it's like and then <laughs> yes. what it on your, your symptoms? Yes. So when people hear coffee enema, they're always like, you're joking. I'm not about to put coffee up my butt. And I know that that sounds so weird. The first time I did it, I was like, what am I doing? Am I seriously doing this right now? But again, when you get to that point in your health where you're just completely defeated, you will literally do anything. And I'm telling you, coffee enemas help. If you are having a horrible day, you need to do a coffee enema. If you have migraines, bad pain, no energy, a coffee enema is going to help you. And I used to be so afraid about thinking about how it was going to completely just wash out my system, like my good bacteria, not just my bad bacteria. But I'm learning that the coffee just like specifically will pull out that bad bacteria and those toxins. So it's honestly not as bad as it sounds, but it helps. It really does. And I'm just always sure, of course, to like replenish my system after the fact, but especially with the trying to detox mold from my system, coffee enemas have been a huge thing. And I'm actually doing them daily now, which I wasn't before. But since doing them daily, I've really found that it's helping my digestion and my pain and migraines and my fatigue. So Michaela, you also did IVIG therapy. Can you explain for our listeners what that is and how that helped you? Yes. So IVIG, I always kind of think of it almost as like a blood transfusion, but it's not. So IVIG is just the plasma from your blood. It's a specific part of your blood that they will extract from the donor's blood. Um, but it takes tens of thousands of donors to make just a small jar of IVIG. And I believe right now there's actually a shortage of it. So it's supposed to help with things like neuropathy and your immune system. So I have neuropathy from the Lyme disease, which was the reason why I started the IVIG. It also can help with dysautonomia, um, which I also have. 
but I was doing it every week for just over two years. It wasn't, I honestly like wouldn't say that I noticed a huge effect from it. So I had decided just to kind of put an end to it randomly. And I honestly can't say that I feel different either way or really notice any significance with my blood work um, with being on it or off of it. But there are plenty of people out there that I've spoken with that have had huge progress with IVIG. And Michaela, another thing we noticed from your pre-interview questionnaire is that you also tried ozone therapy and then you had a strange reaction to it. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So ozone therapy is hands down one of my favorite things. It helps me so much with energy and brain fog and everything like that because it's cleaning your blood and adding oxygen to your blood, which Lyme disease depletes your body of. So I was doing it for almost a year. Um, I was doing it four times a week, which was very, very intense. But when I had started doing it, I hadn't done any work with my genetics or anything like that. So I did not realize that my body had a hard time expelling the toxins and detoxing. So I ended up having a anaphylactic reaction with the ozone, which is totally unheard of. But I had gone in for my treatment. It was two hours away from my house. I had my morning dose. And after that, I was like, coughing a lot and just kind of like feeling like I was struggling to breathe. And then by my second dose, I think it was about four hours later, was when I completely could not breathe. And they still really have no idea what happened. But I'm just kind of assuming that it was a problem with my body detoxing because that was kind of towards the beginning of my treatment as well. And I had no idea how important detoxing really was for your body. So, but ozone is hugely something that I would recommend to people for sure. Michaela, you have a really great analogy describing what it's like to live with Lyme disease and deal with the symptoms specific to a snow globe. Can you describe that for our listeners? Yes. So anytime that like I think about Lyme disease in my life and how to describe it, I always think about a little toddler holding a snow globe and shaking it up like crazy, tipping it upside down. And you're seeing those snowflakes just go absolutely and crazy and all over the place. And it's just kind of representing the chaos and all of the million different pieces that goes into healing from Lyme disease and everything that comes with it. And of course, eventually those snowflakes start to kind of settle and the snow globe starts to become peaceful again. But then just before those last few snowflakes fall, when you're just starting to see the kind of light at the end of the tunnel and you're feeling like you're actually healing, that snow globe gets all mixed up again and the snow is going crazy. It's upside down and it's just like a constant roller coaster and chaos. And I really just see that with healing from Lyme. You will start a treatment, for example, and it's so crazy and you're like, how the hell am I going to get through this? Like, you don't believe that you can go on another day, even though you've done it before. And then after a little bit, that crazy hurt starts to settle and you're like, okay, I can do this. I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But at that point is when you want to hit that 
Lyme disease again and a new symptom starts coming up or you're starting a different treatment to break up those nasty biofilms. So that snow globe is getting shooken up all over again and you're like, you're joking. How can I handle this again? So I always like to remind people and especially myself, I write this down every night and every morning that you've survived 100% of those horrible days where you literally feel like you're going to die and you give up all hope. So if you've survived already 100% of those days, you can survive this next one, even when you feel like you can't, you can and you will survive. One of the things that we have really enjoyed about doing this podcast is that there really is beauty that comes out of this chronic experience that so many of you Limeys have had. And you've already begun to outline how you found beauty in this challenge. Can you share with our listeners how you have changed as a consequence of this experience in a way that's been positive? Yes. So living, not even just Lyme disease, but living with any chronic illness, of course, is looked at so negatively. And it's so easy to look at it as such a negative, life-altering, life-stopping type of thing. But honestly, for me, it's been such a blessing in disguise. Yes, it has completely turned my world upside down. It has taken away my family, my career. Anything that I thought I would be by 25 is gone. Those crazy years that I should have lived through being a teenager and being young in my 20s and going out, yes, it's gone, but it's brought me so much. It has made me grow so much as a person and I feel like has taught me more than any other life experience could have. I was going to nursing school and I thought that I would be a nurse, but through everything that I've personally gone through and have learned and continuously am learning is way more than what nursing school could have taught me. It's taught me to not stress and sweat about the little things in life because life is so short and so precious and we take so many things for granted, like, for example, showering freely with two arms. I have been showering with one arm now for six years, and never would I have, like, taken or thought of that as such a big thing, but it's really just, it's taught me just so much, and just that it's been such a blessing in disguise for me. So you've also, during the course of this journey, started to outreach to folks who are going through Lyme disease challenges, and you've done that on social media. Can you share with our listeners what inspired you to reach out to other folks and use social media as a platform for you to help others despite going through all the challenges that you've been facing? Yeah, so it honestly, it wasn't something that I ever thought about, nor do I even think about. It's just kind of like an automatic thing for me. I was so naive to it all, and I had no idea that Lyme disease was even a thing. And then I slowly started to realize that so many people are going through this as well. And not only just Lyme disease, but things like mental illness and different family struggles and stuff. Living with any type of illness is so isolating. And I was so alone. And still to this day, I'm honestly so alone. And I just wanted people to know that you don't have to be alone. Like, yes, you can be in a room with a million different people, but being that one sick person you're more lonely than ever in that huge room full of people. But I wanted to be that person for somebody else that's struggling and be like, hey, it's okay. 
You can advocate for yourself. Don't listen to other people. This is your body. This is your life. You only have one of both, and you need to do what's best for you. And I'm going to cheer you on along the way and support you in any way that I can. I want to thank you for your social media platform and the outreach that you're doing. I know it's inspired many other people, and I can tell you Matt and I were powerfully inspired by all of the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. I love what you guys are doing as well. So, Michaela, I have one last question for you because the third transformation that we've seen all of our guests go through relates to ticks and tick diseases. And uh, we've actually come up with a name for the transformation that occurs. We call you folks Tick Hackers. And as a Tick Hacker, you've now become a superhero that has the ability to determine what to do in the event that you do come in conflict with a tick so that you wouldn't get sick again. Or if a loved one had come in contact with a tick, you would know how to help them so that they wouldn't get sick. So I'm now gonna ask you the question as a tick hacker. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you found a tick biting you on the leg, what would you do? 100% I would go to the doctors and I would get retested. And not even just for myself, I feel like just kind of in general, people don't just get tested for Lyme disease and nine times out of 10, you're not going to see that tick. So why not just go get yourself tested? It's a simple blood work and you need to take action right away. Or even if you, if I had seen a tick on me right away, I would have started detoxing and supporting my immune system and just doing everything I could to kind of like fire my body up and get it ready to fight. And what type of things would you do to support your immune system so that it would have a better chance of managing the various viruses and bacteria and parasites that might have been spit into you by a tick? Definitely eating healthy and well, of course, is a big thing. Organic, gluten-free, dairy-free type thing. But also on the other end, I have to say, don't restrict yourself. You only live this life once. You also still need to enjoy things but also just being mindful of the everyday products that I'm using and all those toxins in them, doing things like detoxing, taking Epsom salt baths and doing the sauna, different type of supplements, making sure I'm sitting outside and getting some pure good vitamin D from the sun for like 20 minutes a day or whatever, but just being super mindful of yourself and boosting yourself up. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Michaela Batcher. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Michaela Batcher and a tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at Michaela underscore Jennifer. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite blueprint that is inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcasts. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.